Good morning, Providence. Uh, for those that I haven't met before, my name is Kent Sovine. And uh, absolute privilege to be able to jump up here today and spend some time with you all around this one verse of Ephesians 2.10. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, would love for you to open it up and make your way uh, into Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and then I would love to take a moment and just bow before the Lord together and invite him to uh, be the one speaking to our hearts today. Uh, Lord Jesus, your church is gathered together in this place. Now opening your word, holding it in our hands, eager to hear what it is you might have to say to us. And so I pray, Lord, that somehow you would just sort of blow the noise away from our minds in this moment. The noise of life, the noise of this afternoon, the noise of next week. And you would allow this to be a space where every one of us in some way might be able to hear something from you. Pray that you'd cause your word to do the work that it does of digging deep into our souls. And ask that you would bless the next minutes in a way that's fruitful for your namesake. Amen. Uh, If you've been around over the last few Sundays, you know Jared and Andrew have been walking us through Ephesians chapter 2. Done a great job taking us through these first 10 verses that in so many ways becomes just a beautiful summary of the entire gospel message in one little chunk of scripture. Andrew started us off with what he called the bad news. And walking through those first few verses that talk about the fact that you were once dead in your sin. That's the reality for every person on the planet. If we are not yet in a relationship with Jesus, Paul would say it's still the reality of our lives. That you were once dead in your sin, living underneath the deception of Satan And deserving of the wrath of God. Called it the bad news. Last Sunday, Andrew then took us into Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Where Paul flips that coin and says, oh, but here's the good news. Our God is a God who by his grace saves sinners. And that we have opportunity to be brought into a relationship with him where dead people are brought back to life. People who have been trapped by the deception of Satan now get to walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. People who once were were deserving of God's wrath are now recipients of his incomparable grace, the riches of his grace and mercy that he loves to pour out upon people like us. In the midst of all that, Jared took us into this idea of renovation. And now he gets to do it again. (laughs) Took us into this idea that when, when we commit our lives to Christ... He takes the deadness that is within us and he begins a renovating work where he starts to take what he intended in the first place and sort of bring that back to life. That he wants to restore what has been lost. 
So that ultimately you and I can become displays for the world to see the greatness of who he really is. That your life is meant to be a picture of the very glory of God. Brings us to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And uh, I am with Jared when he said that of all the verses in scripture, this is at the top of his list. For me, if I was going to rank passages that have impacted my life uh, in some sort of beautiful way, Ephesians 2.10 would be way up there. Here's why. I think in this one verse, we find the answer to three of life's greatest questions. I think there are a number of questions that all of us, some point in our journey, find ourselves wrestling with. Would suggest to you these three questions are three questions that all of the people around you wrestle with. Those that you do work with, those that you do school with, those that you are in a relationship with, the people that you live around, the people that you play with, Every person on the planet eventually has to wrestle with these three questions. And I find it incredible that I can turn to one verse and answer them all. I think every one of us, first and foremost, wrestles with, who am I? Who am I? The question of identity, the world around you today is trying to figure out, who am I? Quite honestly, I think so much of the crazy that's going on in our society is really an attempt of humanity to figure out, who am I? trying on every way of life they could possibly come up with, all in an attempt to figure out their identity. Eventually, the question then moves to, why am I here? In other words, what is the purpose for my existence on this planet? And then eventually we get to the third question, and that ultimately is something that just sort of repeats over and over in our journey And the question is this, how do I even know this is going to work out? This journey of life that I'm on, this path that I am walking, like how do I know this is actually going to work out? It's the question of assurance. And I think it's amazing Ephesians 2.10 gives us an answer to all three. It tells me my identity. It tells me my purpose and why I even exist. And it gives a beautiful sense of assurance that this thing's going to work out just fine. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right there, folks, is your identity. 
right there is your purpose. And right there is an incredible picture of assurance. Let me walk you down through these questions a little bit. Who am I? Jared mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago. Use the word masterpiece. It's a way some versions translate the original language here. That when the NIV or the ESV says you are God's workmanship, other versions will simply say you are God's masterpiece. You gotta let that sink in. You are God's masterpiece. Now, please don't just hear that and blow right past it. Because if your journey is anything like mine, there is a difference tape, a different message getting played in my head, more often than not, it's very different from you are a masterpiece. I have labels that people and circumstances of my life have hung over me. And when I start wrestling with issues of identity, it's usually not you are a masterpiece of God that plays on the tape in my head. It's usually a boatload of other things that the world has slapped on me. And I take those things as my identity. And then I get all kinds of messed up. The insecurity just rises big time. Because the world doesn't call me a masterpiece. The world calls me a boatload of things. I don't stand in front of you feeling like a masterpiece. See what happens over the course of the journey of life is there are people who showed up at the masterpiece, some nasty colored cheap can of paint, and they just started slapping paint on your life. Some people showed up with a, a can of spray paint. and like a gang member would tag a particular part of the city. By putting their sign on some brick wall somewhere, that person tagged your life. They put a mark on you. And so every time the masterpiece is on display, what you see front and center is not the masterpiece. You see the graffiti that got sprayed onto your life. For some of us, it doesn't feel like somebody slapped a can of paint on us. And it doesn't feel like spray paint. It feels like somebody took a knife. Literally started slashing at the masterpiece that God created. And so instead of being able to live in the joy and the freedom of being a masterpiece of God, we live with this warped sense of identity that's skewed by all of the garbage that has been thrown at us. And the tape that plays in our head says things like, you are worthless. You'll never measure up. You will never be accepted. Your life is a mess. Remember the choices you made. So I just want it to be very clear again. You are a masterpiece. 
just receive that as just a, a beautiful sort of flowing river of Jesus. It washes away all the other stuff. May the very first thing that runs through your brain when you start to wonder about yourself, may the very first thing be, I am a masterpiece of God. Because if you can get that settled, and the journey of life becomes so much more beautiful. Myron Pierce, I feel like I've shared a little bit of his journey from up here before. I know I've talked about this masterpiece stuff before, but y'all forget, so we're okay. Myron Pierce, pastor in North Omaha, a good friend of mine, posted a thing on Facebook the other day. Talked about getting the phone call for jury duty. And the person on the other side of the call said, are you a convicted felon? Now the reality is, if you know Myron's story, Myron has a rap sheet at least a mile long, if not two. Dude has done some really bad stuff. At one point, Myron was facing 200 years in prison. Crazy, the stuff in his past. And so she says, are, are you a convicted felon? Watch Myron's answer. He says, I have committed a felony. But he refused to acknowledge convicted felon as his identity. Byron would say, no, I am a masterpiece of God who did some jacked up stuff in the past, but that is not who I am. Whatever it is you used to do, whatever it is you have done, whatever it is that someone else has done to you is not who you are. You have been saved by grace, pulled out of that deadness, and you, my friend, are a masterpiece of God. Now, I find it interesting the way Paul says this. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It's a great Pauline phrase that I normally would blow right past as just some sort of like, yeah, that's just how Paul talks. It's a little weird. Created in Christ Jesus. Let's roll on. Until I'm going to stand up here and preach it. And then I'm forced to wrestle through. Why did he put that in? Is that simply just a little phrase that sounds good to church people? Why does he say you were created in Christ Jesus. Well, let me just take you on a little journey into how I would have thought through this. In much of my life, I would see Jesus as a bit of a late arrival into the story. Didn't mean that as a bad thing, but Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I've got the whole Old Testament story of God and his relationship with his people. And it's not till well into the story that Jesus shows up. Now we have the Savior of the world going to the cross, resurrection, that whole thing. But I, I typically would have seen that as sort of like this, way through the journey. 
Until I bump across verses like this. Where I think what Paul really is wanting to call us back to is an understanding that Jesus Christ played the lead role in your creation. That he is not a latecomer to your story. But it is Jesus who is front and center when you were knit together. Why does that matter? Because it was in his hands that the paintbrush was held when you, as a masterpiece, were being created. And so watch this. When I then come to that place in my life where I make a decision to commit my life to Jesus, I am not committing my life to this sort of new adventure. What I am doing is I'm committing my life back into the hands of the artist that painted the picture in the first place. And so when Jesus takes me on a journey of transformation, when the renovating work takes place in my life, it is being done by the one who made the masterpiece in the first place. And so I'm not on some new journey into some new way of life. I am on a journey to go right back to what he intended in the first place. You are not following some second-rate artist who's messing around with your life with his spray paints. You have the master who is doing the work of bringing you back to what he intended in the first place. Who are you? You're a masterpiece of God. What do you do with that? I'm going to give you just in the next minutes here in this message, just a couple of encouragements for some next steps. I couldn't encourage you enough to find somebody else in your life, a mentor, pay a counselor, skip something in life so you can afford to go get a counselor, do whatever you need to do to get somebody in your life who will walk with you into the journey of discovering what really the masterpiece looks like. Because right now you have had so many other things slapped on top of the masterpiece that for most of us, we're not sure who the real me is. We're not sure what our real identity is because we've got all of these other words and labels and things that the world has slapped on us. You must take the journey into your story far enough to figure out what the cheap paint is that's been slapped on and what's the legitimate masterpiece underneath. might sound bad. I'm that guy who will stand in a room. I have zero sense of style, zero sense of like I can fit into modern trend kind of stuff. That's just gone for me. I let that ship sail a long time ago. But I'm the guy in the room who looks at that person who walks in and you just want to say, oh, you don't have to try that hard. Like you just need to back some of that off. 
But then there are those times, and I can't imagine how awkward this would be, and I'm just going to say this. I'm watching what's happening in our sexually crazed culture. And I'm watching what people are wearing, thinking, oh, I just want to walk up to you and say, hey, you don't have to do that. You don't, you don't have to do that. You are a masterpiece of God. And all of the stuff the world is slapping on you is just, is just getting in the way. And so I want to encourage you, if you have never journeyed with somebody into your story, to work through, who am I really as a masterpiece? You really need to do that. Only then do I think it's safe to start wrestling with question number two. And just so you know, I don't have as much to say about question two or three. But only then are you safe to start wrestling with question number two, and that is, why am I here? The reason I say that that way is because if you don't wrestle through identity, but you just try to get after what you're supposed to do in life, you are going to find an incredible battle that never goes away. If you don't know who you are, then you don't know what to go do. And yet in our sort of activated mindset that many of us live with, we think as long as I'm out there busy getting good stuff done for the king, it must be right. What you are going to go do with your life, the purpose that you're going to go live out, only only is going to make sense if it flows out of who you are. I call it your Ephesians 2.10. Literally, I've like made that term up and I've used it for years now. I will say that you have an Ephesians 2.10. And I'm one of those guys, I spend a good bit of my life walking with people through that first kind of journey I referenced to help them sort through what is your Ephesians 2.10. How is it that God has created you? How has he wired you up? What has he put in you? Your personality, your passions, your gifting, your talents, all of that stuff that is innate to you has to be discovered to then be able to turn to the question, and so now what do I do? Well, Paul answers that for us pretty clearly. He says, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. May sound overly simplistic. It's really not. It's really profound and beautiful. And right there, you're going to find one of the most fulfilling thoughts in all of Scripture. God has prepared good works for you. I can't go live out your good works. I wasn't wired to do what you were wired to do. 
give me one of these guys' guitars and a microphone and sing, and I will make a hot mess out of this place so fast. I wasn't wired for that stuff. I've tried. Ask my kids. There are things that you were created to do. God prepared it in advance. And one of the greatest joys of life is when you find yourself now in the lane that God wants you in, doing what it is that God has created for you to do. Now, here's where I'm going to sort of go astray from a lot of godly theologians out there. And you need to understand there are really, really solid Christ-following men and women who are light years ahead of me in their understanding of things. You probably should listen to them, but I'm going to throw a thought at you anyway. I think God cares about some of the deeper intricacies of your life. Such things as where you ought to live. Who it is that he wants you to marry if that's what he has for you. What kind of a career path he would have you to to take. I think he cares about things like where you do your schooling. I think he cares about the neighborhood that you live in. I don't think that you are some sort of haphazard accident who ought to just go make it the best you can. And as long as you're faithful to God in the process, it's all what he intended. I think he has a very specific plan for your life. Now, the reason I say some will disagree is because there are a lot of people out there would say, look, you need to just decide where it is you'd like to live. Go live there and serve God faithfully there and he'll bless that. Men, there are like, what, 3.5 billion women on the planet? Bump across a gal that captures your heart, you're attracted to her, go pursue her. Ask God to take care of that. You like that house? Move into that house. There are people that will say, as long as you just stay faithful to God and obedience, you can make those choices in whatever way seems best. And I look at it and say, no, I I think he was more intentional than that. I think he wired you up in a particular way for a particular reason. I think he's had a plan from the get-go. I look at passages like Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul is talking on Mars Hill. He says this. He says, from one man he made every minute. It's getting ridiculous how bad my eyesight's getting. I can't see up here. That they, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. Watch this. And he determined the times for them and the exact places Where they should live. For in him we live and move and have our being. I want to suggest to you that God was crazy intentional. When he made you. And he has good works prepared in advance for you. 
And so my sort of next steps application at this point is to simply encourage you, go find the space where you can get quiet enough to listen. To put some very simple questions before the Lord and then just sit and listen. God, my heart is attracted to that person. Do you want me to pursue him? And then just listen. God, I'm looking at this career path. Something about it's exciting my heart. Is that what you want me to chase after? And then just sit and listen. Man, God, I'd love to live in the Rocky Mountains. Is that what you have for me? And then just listen. Notice that Paul does not say you are created to do good works, period. He says you are created to do good works which God prepared in advance. Who am I? I am a masterpiece of the living God created in Christ Jesus. Why am I here? Because he's got good works for me to do. How do I know this thing's going to work out? Catch this. Because the God who sits enthroned over the entire universe, who created and sustains all things, is the one in whose hands you find your life. You are not a forgotten accident on this planet. You have captured the heart of the one enthroned over the whole thing. The one that created you, the one that is orchestrating your journey is the God of the universe. And he's been running pretty much all things for all time. Pretty sure he can also take care of you. Some of us have been on a short-term missions trip. Something happened in your heart and you just felt like the Lord was calling you to... Burkina Faso, and you went to Burkina Faso. People say, why are you doing that? And you say, I don't know. I feel like God, I feel like God's wanting me to. We will walk out this journey of identity, purpose, and assurance to do a trip to a place like Burkina Faso in Africa for a week. My one suggestion to you is just do the same drill, but for the rest of your life. I think God's got a place for you. I think he's got a work for you. I think he's wired you up in a very specific way for a specific thing. And I think you can trust him to be able to carry that out in a beautiful way. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Pretty incredible passage of scripture. Starts by straight calling us out. You were dead in your sin lost in the deceptions of Satan and deserving of the wrath of God. 
And yet God, by grace through faith, has made a way for you and I to come back to him. And when you make that decision, you are putting the masterpiece back in the hands of the master. Who are you? Your masterpiece. Why are you on the planet? Because the master has good works prepared for you to do. How do you know it's going to work out? Because he so far has pulled off everything he's put his hands to. Pretty sure he wants to do it again. Let me pray with you. Lord, I am struck by the thought that when you look at us, you don't see cheap gallons of paint somebody splashed onto us. You don't see cuts and tears. You certainly don't see ugly words and dark labels that hang over us. I'm struck by the thought that you see what you created. And Jesus, I'm struck by the love that you have for us, that you would refuse to leave us as marred ones. But you've gone to incredible lengths to make a way for us to come back to you. And I love this thought that you, Jesus, would be the one renovating, restoring, redeeming, bringing back what has been lost. And so, Jesus, I pray that for the men and women sitting before you today. Asking. That the label of masterpiece would replace all the other noise. Even those deep-seated words that hang over our lives because some significant other somewhere in the past spoke it over us. Jesus, would you replace the noise and may it simply be you are a masterpiece. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are staring at some pretty daunting decisions. They're trying to kick around where to put their foot next, who to pursue, what to pursue, where to pursue it. And I pray, Jesus, would these be days where people are struck by how clearly they are hearing your voice. May they be amazed at the assurance they receive from you. I love those moments where I'm able to say, I don't have a clue how this is going to work out, but Jesus called me to it, so let's go. And I pray for that story to be repeated over and over and over. Jesus, I don't know the little ones in this room. I love hearing a little baby's voice. 
Lord, we together lift our kids before you and say, Jesus, as much as possible, would you protect and defend from the second-rate artists that are going to come and try to slap paint on their lives? Would you keep them close to the place where the masterpiece would shine bright? And may the fullness of what you intend for them get lived out. Lord, for your namesake, we invite you to do a good work yet again. We pray that in your name. Amen.